This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part three of the Memorial Day weekend mega mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right back into the mailbag with Jack McAnally, who asks... Now that Gase confirmed he does not want to get rid of Le'Veon Bell, how do you think he will perform for us? We said this before. I think Bell's going to be awesome, just as advertised. I expect him to be a pro bowler and probably even an all-pro. I think he's one of the best offensive players in the league, and I have no reason to believe that he won't put up big numbers for the Jets this season. Yeah, I agree. It's, and again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you how many yards. This, that, that, I did it again. Um, I'm not going to tell you how many yards I, every single time I'm going to do it and I'm going to be like, ah, oh, you did it again. Um, but I do think he's going to have a, and the main reason why I'm going to stay away from trying to do that is how it's going to be split into receiving yards and rushing yards. But I think he's going to get a whole lot of yards and he's going to help extend drives. There's going to be so many drives where it's a third and short and Le'Veon Bell will be the difference there, whether it's as a pass protector or as a pass protector who can then leak out into the flat and then catch a, a pass the line of scrimmage and then just run for it there or as a receiving threat, whether he's actually catching the ball himself or he's demanding attention from the defense that'll open up for Jamison Crowder, Chris Herndon, or Robbie or Quincy. So he's going to be helping this team every time he's out on the field, whether he touches the ball or not. And I'm with you. I think he's going to have a huge year. The only thing that I can see possibly stopping him, of course, is his injury. He is going to come back. He's going to be in great shape. He's going to be motivated. And I cannot, for the life of me, imagine why anybody would expect him to be anywhere not as good as he has been he's going to be just as good and it's going to be huge for the jets in this offense next question comes in from dan he says scott in a very big deal chris nimbly it's awesome that you guys love justified as much as i do so i have a question for you Let's say that you were in a gang and you were in the middle of a turf war and you could pick any of these three guys to be on your side in the battle. Who would you want? Boyd, Raylan, or Tim? So here's my answer. I'm going to go with Tim, and the reason is because this is a guy that was trained as a military sniper. He can take care of himself in pretty much any conditions. He can pick people off from 100 yards away. The guy is a stone-cold badass. Now, Raylan's a tough dude. But the problem with Raylan is sometimes he's got more guts than brains. He doesn't know when to walk away from a fight. We saw him over the course of the series take a couple of beatings, put his own life in danger, and be lucky to even come out alive. That's good because you need somebody brave, but it's also bad because you also need somebody that's a little more strategic. Tim, having been in the military, I think would think much more strategically. And Boyd, listen, he's wily, he's crafty, he's a guy that is willing to not play by the rules, and you know that he knows how to deal with the criminal element, and he'll do whatever it takes. But I just don't think that when it comes down to it, he's as tough as Tim. So it wouldn't be bad to have any of these three, but if you're making me pick, I got to go with Tim. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. It depends on the exact situation because uh, I would be inclined to pick Tim in a lot of those situations, a lot of the reasons just for his sniping ability. But also, I think I'm going to go with Boyd here, uh, partly just to be different, give a different answer than Neil. (laughs) But I'll, I'll go with Boyd here because we're talking about 
gang stuff, uh, you know, surviving, and Boyd is not going to play by any rules. Mm-hmm. Where Tim and Raymond's willing to break the rules at times, but only to a certain point, uh, Tim is not going to be willing to do as much. Boyd is going to break any rules, whatever he has to do to survive. The only downside and problem with Boyd is him turning around and shooting me if he feels Mm -hmm. like he can make more money out of it. But especially if I'm in Harlan, give me Boyd. He's going to stoop lower. He's going to do whatever needs to do. He's going to break the rules, and he's got to have the lay of the land and know everything, the ins and outs of Harlan and all that. So I'll, I'll ride with Boyd there. I'm probably going to die a fiery death, but you know, hey, it'll be it'll go out in blaze of glory. No question, he is a street brawler. You could say that if you were to equate Adam Gase to any character in Justified, it just might be Boyd Crowder. Yeah, yeah. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Dan Doyle. He says, fellas, it's Memorial Day weekend, so I have only one question for you. Breaded or naked wings, and how hot do you like your sauce? So I'm going to go with naked wings, and I like it as hot as possible. I know that sometimes you get the sauce and it's so hot that you have to pour water on your tongue for the next like five hours, but you got to live a little. So that's my answer. I like the naked wings, and I like them as hot as you can make them. Yeah, I'm going naked as well. I like hot. I like spicy. But I don't like it when that's all I can taste. So, so the super, super, super hot and spicy. Yeah, I, I'll pass on that. I give give me the regular hot, uh, not the super, super hot, because then it just burns your tongue, and then I can't taste anything. I still want some flavor besides just the hot and the spice. Next question comes in from Michael Kecka again. He says, guys, I know I always joke around, but for once I'm going to ask you a serious question. If the Jets do hire Joe Douglas, who's considered one of the top GM candidates in the NFL, will it matter at the end of the day how they got their guy despite him being a Gase hire? If he's a good GM and on the same page as the head coach, isn't that what matters? Of course, on paper, that's what matters. But I think a part of the problem here is that the Jets haven't had real synergy since they brought in 
Tannenbaum and Mangini together and that was the last time that they really built up a team that was going to be able to have a long term run and you saw it Mangini was the guy that was the personnel smarts Tannenbaum was the guy that knew how to negotiate and get the players that Mangini wanted they both came up together they were longtime associates they were hired together and they worked together as a unit and it worked well the only downside was that Eric Mangini was better as a personnel guy then as a coach, he had a lot of growing to do as a coach. Unfortunately, I think he made the same mistake that Gase just made, which is going right from one job to the next. Never recovered from the Cleveland Browns thing. And now he's an analyst at Fox Sports. A good one, too. But I would love to see him in a front office. I think that he would do a great job. I'd love to see him back here. I know Damian Woody has talked about this a lot, as has the infamous Drew from Jersey. But they haven't had synergy since then, because if you remember, Woody Johnson really was the one that was infatuated with Rex Ryan. And then... John Idzik, they brought him in here while Rex was already here, so they weren't going to be able to get their first choice because those guys wanted to pick their own coaches. They hired McCagnin, but they hired him just before Bulls, and while he signed off on it, everybody knows that that was really more of a Woody Johnson call. And then you had the whole situation with Gase, and now Gase is here, so he's going to try and get somebody in here that he can work with. We'll see if they can actually have that kind of synergy that they had with Tannenbaum and Mangini. If they can, if it's just a situation where they're working together well, and say Douglas or whoever it is has final say and does a good job, and Gase makes suggestions, and they work together within his system, and they find common ground, cool. But if it ends up being a lot of what happened in Miami, where it's basically everybody knows, here's what Adam wants, let's go get Adam what he wants, and everybody's really kind of dancing around Gase, that could be a problem. And I think that's the worry when you talk about somebody who's a quote-unquote Gase guy, is whether or not he's going to be independent enough to tell Gase to stuff it when he thinks he's making the wrong move. So to answer your question... I think that it has the potential to be a really good move if everybody works together well, but I also have a lot of skepticism because of the way that things went down in Miami and because of the way that Gase's personality dictates that he always wants to have his way no matter what. So we'll see, but I will say this. If Mac were here, it was pretty much death by a thousand cuts. Now that Mac is gone... At least there's a chance. I keep in my head thinking of that Jim Carrey line in Dumb and Dumber when he says, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yes, I'm telling you there's a chance that this works out well. Yeah, well, you mentioned Gase uh, getting fired and then getting another job right away. I mean, Jeannie getting fired, getting another job right away. And then you could throw Rex Ryan in there as well. Mm-hmm. And you could see what when Rex went to Buffalo, he repeated he did the same mistakes over and over again. It's like he didn't learn anything. I really think that there's a, a huge benefit for coaches. Get fired. Dude, go the Bulls or out. Go. I mean, not the Bulls was getting offers, but he can go down there, be the defensive coordinator again. He can take some time to learn what he did wrong, and then maybe he gets another shot again down the road, and he, it, he's a better coach for it. As for uh, the, the original question, though, Yes, yeah, absolutely, because you got rid of Gase. I mean, got rid of McCagnan, which is a win. I'm, I'm sorry, Ed, that's a win. And I, I completely understand having your concerns about Gase and an empowered Gase. I completely understand that. But Gase is here already. Gase was going to be here no matter what. Him and Cagnan weren't going to have that surge you're talking about. They weren't going to work together anyway. So... At this point, Gates is already here. I, I, if you're going to object to anything, object to the hiring of Gates, but that's already over and done with. 
So just want, at this point, you want to empower Gates a little bit more. I'm good with it. It's easy. He's going to have to sink or swim, and he's going to have to do it quickly one way or another. And then if not, then you can just move on from it. But if if there was a mistake here, it was already made in hiring Gates, and we'll see if it ends up turning out to be a mistake or not. But I, I, with McCagnan, again, you're just not going to get me to criticize firing McCagnan in any way, shape, or form. It's just not going to happen. So if they can go and they can get an upgrade with someone like Joe Douglas, or even if they just get a Gase yes man, all right, whatever, let Gase run it, and then it'll blow up or it'll succeed. And uh, But I don't think that there's any way that you can really make it worse than McCagnan because uh, Gase was going to be a problem with McCagnan no matter what. As I've said before, two thumbs up for getting rid of McCagnan. As far as Gase, I'm not going to say one way or the other that it's a definite good or bad. I'm highly skeptical that it's going to work for the reasons that both you and I articulated. But like you said, he was already here. So the question is, do you continue to ride with Mac who you know is bad? Or since Gase is here already, do you go in another direction now and just cut bait? So with that being the choice, it definitely makes sense to get somebody in here that you think would be better. If you think that there's somebody out there that would be better than Mike McCagney, which I'm sure most of us would agree that there are plenty of people out there that are better than Mike McCagney. The question becomes whether or not the Jets end up hiring one of those guys and whether or not empowering Gase this much ends up biting him in the butt. But as you said, Chris, the odds of them being worse off than they were before are fairly slim. So it's hard to hate the move that much beyond giving Gase that kind of power. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes from the Jet Ranger. He says, if Dowell Loggins was standing straight up and you had a running start, do you think you would be able to jump over him without kicking him in the face? (laughs) I don't. I can jump a little, but I don't think I can jump that much. However, I do think that there are numerous players on the team that could do it. I don't know that there's anybody on the Jets beat that can. I guess if I had to bet on anybody, it would probably be either Connor or Matt. But I don't think anybody on the beat could do it. But yeah, I think there's a bunch of players on the team that could. I, on the other hand, could not. The the closest on the beat is Matt. Uh, Matt Matt will come closest to it. Uh, I I would be able to come close to it when I was a teenager. I'm 38 years old right now. My knees are shot. I'm overweight. Yeah, there's there's no way this is happening now. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it as a teenager either. But I I, I did have. Uh, pretty relatively decent a vertical athletic ability when I was young and before I was overweight and my knees were completely shot and definitely there's nobody on the beat that could pull it off but I would I would definitely give Matt the uh, closest there next question comes in from Damien he says 
It took five press conferences before Adam Gase just left without saying a proper goodbye. How many times do you expect him to do that this year? What's your over-under? So I'm not going to count all the preseason stuff and the practices and all the other times. It's impossible to do that. So what I'm going to do is the post-game pressers because I think that's really the only fair way to do this. I'm going to say the over-under is 10, and I'm going to pick the over because Gase seems like a kind of guy that likes to walk away without a proper goodbye. To be fair, I'm flying blind here. I didn't check with Travis Wingfield to ask if this is what he commonly did in Miami. I'm just going on a hunch here. Yeah, I, that's, I was going to say the same thing. Are we talking, are we including all the OTA pressers, the training camp pressers, and all that? Because if, if we're including that, then I'd probably put the number at like 128. <laughs> um, I, I feel like 10 is a pretty good, safe number. And by the way, I'm not saying that it's as like he's going to be walking off in a huff, or I just think he's just going to be like, all right, that's enough, I'm mm-hmm. out. And, and, mm-hmm. just like, and, and you know what? I respect the hell out of that, honestly. I am a big fan and big proponent of the Irish goodbye. <laughs> that is that is my whole steeze. I'm sitting there with people like, oh, wait, no, no one's paying attention. Let me sneak out of here now. So I think there's going to be a lot of times when there's like, he's getting peppered with questions, peppered with questions, and then there's a little bit of a lull, and he's just going to bounce right out. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Here's another question from Michael Christopher. He says, where will Mac end up since all has been quiet on his front? Will he wind up on TV or in another front office somewhere or out of the league like a lot of his picks? You think that we'll ever hear the stories of the real dysfunction that existed between him and Todd Bowles? Do you think Todd Bowles will ever give his side of the story publicly or even leak it to members of the press? Let's start with the first part of this. I don't think Mac's going to be on TV because unless I'm misjudging this, he would not be good on television. I do think that there's a decent chance he winds up back in a front office as either an area scout or a director of college scouting. Chris, you've talked about this before. It's all about connections you have. So if he knows enough people, it's possible that he catches on somewhere. And that's probably his best case scenario. I don't think that he's cut out for the GM job, but I do think that him traveling around the country watching college games is what he truly loves anyway. So I think there's a decent chance he winds up back in a front office doing something like that. As far as Todd Bowles, here's what I'll say. I don't think Todd Bowles himself is ever going to talk about this because that's just not who Todd Bowles is. However, I do think if you pay attention to the stories you've heard from Mike Lombardi and from Josina Anderson, you're definitely getting information from people that are close to Bowles. Now with Lombardi, let's just put it this way. His son was on Bowles' staff. Take that for what it's worth and figure out for yourself who might be telling Lombardi these things. With Josina Anderson, we know that she's friendly with several agents. Again, 
put two and two together and figure out where she's getting these things that she's reporting. But no, I don't think Bowles himself will ever talk about it. I do think that you're going to hear more, but it's going to come from secondhand sources, like I said, Lombardi and Josina Anderson and people like that. How much we're going to hear over the years, I don't know. We may have heard the last of it, but I do think that there will be at least a few more details that seep out over time. Yeah, you'll hear more more a little bit here and there, but it's how much are you going to put stock into what you're hearing at that time? How much are you going to believe it? Uh, that's going to be the thing. You're never going to hear Bowles come out and give like a tell-all story. That's just not who Bowles is. And at this point, honestly, Bowles is in, is in Tampa. He's with Arians, and he's focused on that Tampa defense. He's not, I promise you he's not really concerned anymore. It's over and done with. He's out of here. He's moved on. With uh, McCagnan, I will never say somebody won't be good on TV again after watching the turn that Mangini made. Mm-hmm. Because I, I did, when I first saw him on ESPN, I was like, whoever made this decision to hire him needs to be fired. He has no business being on TV. And now I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, I wish Mangini was on TV. I'd start watching some more stuff on TV because he was great <laughs> on TV. And McCagnan, McCagnan is a really good talker. Now, he would talk, uh, would talk and talk and talk without actually saying anything. But again, as I continue to talk about, that is, he is an expert at that. That is the, what every GM wants to do. They want to emulate the way that Mike McCagnan talks with the media where it feels like he's actually giving you stuff. It doesn't feel like he's sidestepping stuff. It doesn't feel like he's not answering. But then you go back and you listen, and you're like, he didn't actually say anything. That's the, that's the GM's goal here. So if you get him on TV and you give him a little more freedom or, and he doesn't have to worry about you know protecting his strategy and letting other people know what he's thinking, I, I can definitely see him being good and entertaining on TV. He is... A really good guy. There's a, a like to a love about Mike McCagnan, just not as a GM. Um, Mike McCagnan, person, great. As GM, no, not so much. But, you know, at this point, what uh, most I'd see him doing in the NFL with, like, an NFL team would be some type of scouting role. We saw, you know, it, it got hired in Jacksonville pretty much right away doing salary cap stuff back to what he was known for and good with. So I could see that happening with McCagnan. I could also see, knowing Mike McCagnan just a little bit, I could definitely see him being like, let me just let me just decompress. Let me take some time off. And uh, just the stress was so much for him, just eating away at him. Let me just chill for a bit. And then I, I could definitely see him down the line getting back into some type of scouting role. I agree with you in the sense that you never know who's going to be on TV. You can make educated guesses because Mangini's awesome on TV. So good. Rex is terrible. And you would have thought it would have been the reverse. You would have thought Rex is going to be great on TV and Mangini would be terrible. But it's the complete opposite. So it just goes to show you that even if you're right eight, nine out of ten times, you just never know. Now, me, would I hire Mike McCagney to be on TV? Absolutely not. But then again, I'm not the one that gets paid to make these decisions. So maybe they try him out and he's better than we think he would be. We'll find out soon enough. But I suspect that he's more likely to end up back in a front office as an. Yeah, I don't think he wants that. I don't think he really wants that type of attention anyway. He's not really somebody who's going to seek that out. 
Of course, the other option for him is to buy a Starbucks, which you know he desperately wants to do. Dunkin' down. Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts for him. He could definitely do it. I'm sure he made a nice living as general manager of the Jets. So if he wants yeah. to do that, he could do that too. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from our man Joe Blewett. And if you're not watching his film reviews over on Turn on the Jets TV on YouTube, you should be. They're fantastic. They're some of the best you're going to see. He says, all-time favorite, not best lineup on both sides of the ball, go. So he's talking about Jets history, obviously. My personal favorite offense was the 85-86 era offense, which had Wesley Walker, Altoon, Mickey Shuler, Ken O'Brien, not to mention Freeman McNeil, and of course JoJo Townsell, who was sprinkled in here and there, but was known mostly for his punt and kick returns. So that's my favorite offense. Favorite defense has got to be 81-82 era because that was the sack exchange. That was when Klecko and Gastineau were competing to see who could rip quarterbacks' heads off. They both had over 20 sacks in one season together. Lions and Salam were tremendous too. Plus, you had Bobby Jackson in the secondary. You had a strong linebacking core that included Lance Mel. They were rocking and rolling all over the place on that defense in that era. So I would say 85-86 Jets offense-wise and 81-82 Jets defense-wise. All right, so I'm terrible with time and years, so this this is going to be difficult. But uh, I'm going to say Sanchez, Greg, Greg McElroy, and offense. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, I'm gonna I'm going to go on offense. I'm going to go with one of these Peddington years, uh, probably right after he took over Vinny Testaverde. I was not a Vinny Testaverde fan, and I was calling for Peddington a lot. Obviously, you had Curtis Martin there. It was a little bit of a different time in the NFL. Running game was huge and super important there. I also, you know, obviously they both uh, left and came back, but uh, the Lavernius Cole, Santa, uh, Santana Moss situation, those were my most exciting uh, receivers going. And then defense, I'm going to go first year Rex and that, that Revis year. Mostly just because I'm a Revis stan, I've I've said it again and again. I am always biased and trend towards the cornerbacks and safeties. And Revis was just absolutely amazing. And those defenses are so fun too because of the way that Rex would design the defensive schemes and attack and be aggressive. I I'm always going to be a fan of an aggressive attacking defense. Next question, or it's actually a comment, comes in from Vinny T. He says, screw you, Nimbly. I was never a fan of yours either. Wow, who knew Vinny Testaverde was on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, Vinny. I mean, you just threw way too many interceptions for me. It drove me nuts. <laughs> Next question comes in from Danny at CC716. He says, what timeline do you put on this team hiring the GM? Do you foresee Gase making any other trades before the interim general manager tag is lifted and they actually get themselves a full-time general manager? Maybe he goes out and gets a cornerback. I don't think there's going to be anything major. He may cut a guy or sign a guy, but it'll all be minor moves. I don't expect anything major to get done until the general manager comes in. And even then, Chris has talked about this. Most of the heavy lifting that the general manager has to do is done for the year now. So there will be instances where guys are available in trades that you don't expect. And there's going to be stuff after camp with guys getting cut that you may want to sniff around. And certainly there's going to be situations where the general manager needs to get involved there. But for the most part, the heavy lifting is done. If Gase does anything, like I said, I think it's going to be 
minor role players getting cut or minor role players getting brought in. I don't see anything major happening until the new GM comes in. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I, it'd be silly to sit here and rule out any other moves of any uh, any statue there because of what we've seen and so far. So I could definitely see a couple moves here and there with bottom roster guys. And who knows, maybe if you know there, there's been a lot of reports and rumors that the Vikings were shipping, uh, shopping both of their cornerbacks. Maybe, maybe if the price comes down on that, maybe they would go ahead and make a move like that. But that's going to depend more on the Vikings or on another team. If a, if a, all of a sudden a player becomes more available, maybe they would. But I don't think that that's going to be something that you could be looking for or really expecting. I would probably venture to guess that you'd, pro- you'd probably get a hire within the next two to four weeks. But I also wouldn't be totally surprised if they waited until after those that June 4th through 6th minicamps are over and then they get this huge long break from there until the last week of July before training camp starts. But I would expect definitely by the start of training camp for them to have the GM there. They're going to need the GM there for that time. You, you don't want Adam Gase to have to be worrying about sorting through building the, this team's roster himself and then going through looking at the cuts of all the other teams. You don't want all that on his plate while he's trying to prepare for a season and the rest of the preseason games. Next question comes in from our friends at JetNation.com. They say, piggybacking on the last question, do you think that the Jets will be able to make any moves to improve the cornerback position heading into the season? I think the obvious one here would be Morris Claiborne. I think that's the one that could probably get done. We'll see if it does. There's also the possibility of one of those Vikings corners. As you said, supposedly they're both being shopped. I'm not sure how much stock I put into that. I think that whoever the GM is will sniff around, but I'd say that it's probably likely that they get traded elsewhere if they get traded at all. The other thing that I will say is that the way that Antonio Cromartie's been talking lately, it's possible that he gets fired up enough to try and make a comeback. So maybe Crow (laughs) comes back. Those are the answers, though. I think it's probably going to be Claiborne. There's an outside chance that they go after one of the Minnesota guys. And an even more outside chance that Cromartie continues to get so fired up that he actually decides to suit up again. Yeah, that that would be a super outside chance on the Cromartie thing. Uh (laughs) But, yeah, I fully expect them to be bringing in guys after training camp cuts. Now, I don't think that's somebody that fans are going to see signed and be like, yeah, we got a starting corner now. It would probably be somebody like a Daryl Roberts type of caliber, somebody who you can bring in. You could be hopeful that maybe they could uh, play up and earn the starting role or they could be better or they, you know, they could be a little inconsistent and kind of play like Roberts where you'd be super comfortable with them coming in and substitution situations. Or if you just had to play him for a game or two, you'd be cool with that, but somebody that you're not going to be starting, but they don't have a lot of depth there. So that is definitely going to be, have to be, that's definitely something that's going to have to be addressed one way or another. It's just, it's going to have to be that way. So that will happen at some point, probably when training camp cuts happen. But like you said, I don't expect them to really pull off any big trades or get anybody really huge there. That that's gonna the fans are gonna be like, yes, okay, we got our starting corner now. 
Yeah, I agree, Chris. I think that acquiring a corner of that caliber at this stage of the game is highly unlikely. And I also think that this is a great place to end part three of the Memorial Day weekend mega mailbag. Follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly. Read his very big deal work at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.